sound means that they're here, computer guys and gal. <laughs> From WAMU 88.5 at American University in Washington, welcome to the Kojo Nandi Show, connecting your neighborhood with the world. And who are they? Just who are these computer guys and gal? Well, John Gilroy is a director for business development for BLT Global Ventures. He is here, unfortunately. Unfortunately, again. <laughs> Alison Druin is Chief Futurist at the University of Maryland Division of Research, Co-Director of the Future of Information Alliance at the University of Maryland. Alison, good to see you. Good to see you, Coach. And Bill Harlow is here. He is a hardware and software technician for Max and PCs at Mid-Atlantic Consulting Incorporated. Hi, Bill. Hello. And you are here, and you can join the conversation by calling 800-433-8850. It's a perennial question in technology. How secure are we from spying eyes, devious thieves, and plain old software malfunctions? Verizon Wireless says it's going to let customers opt out of a tracking system that until recently they didn't know existed. And experts are still debating how long it is before algorithms rule the world. Give us a call. What's your biggest digital security concern right now? 800-433-8850. You can send email to org. Shoot us a tweet at Kojo Show using the hashtag TechTuesday or go to our website, org. Bill, after four senators blasted Verizon Wireless for putting tracking codes on its customers' phones that third parties could use to follow people's browsing activity, the company says users can now opt out. Yes. How does this tracking work, and how can I tell Verizon, stop? Well, basically, you know, it's it's tied to them as a carrier, so they, you know, they can do whatever they want with the traffic, and that's how they're able to tag, uh, their, tag their subscribers with a, a unique way of identifying them. And finally, you can uh, log into your Verizon account online or call an 800 number and uh, and get off of that. But for months, it's been one of those things where they said, well, you know, it's it's fine. You know, third parties can't use it. Oh, wait, they can. So if you are a Verizon wireless subscriber, I would recommend getting on that. Some privacy advocates say Verizon's move does not go far enough. That is... We are allowed to opt out, but we're never asked. That's right. The default's always opt in. Mm -hmm. And uh, the default's always uh, you're in and you have to opt out. And I think that uh, most people with most of these things would like to see that change. Is it an 800 number you have to call to opt out? 866? Is that the number I read? 866-211-0874. But I find it hysterical that the Verizon spokesperson said that privacy is a, end quote, central consideration for the company when it comes to developing products and series. I mean, it's only a central consideration because we, the consumer, made it that way, folks. So you've got to let people know you that this matters. Well, it does matter. The thing I don't get is if you're a company responsive to your your customers' needs, you would think that they look at uh, privacy as a selling point. My uh, exactly right. my wife says there's 40 million customers of Verizon. There's one person answering the phone there for questions. <laughs> they, they have the number. Any human being's going to answer for the next two months. I mean, wife's been on hold for Verizon. I think maybe like two weeks at a she's time. She's still on hold. In she's fact. still on top. She's at from home, last, not doing anything. Just from January, she's still on hold. <laughs> it's uh, the system. Allison, we all have a vague understanding that algorithms decide what ads we see, which Facebook posts show up in our news feeds, which articles float to the top of a Google search. But there's new concern about the outsized influence algorithms have over the totality of what we see online. It was a topic at last month's South by Southwest conference. What was the conversation about there? There were two professors, one from Illinois and and one from Michigan, um, that were basically talking about relevancy software. All right. Basically, this is I mean, before we were so worried about privacy in the 90s, we were actually trying to figure out how to get um, computation smarter so that we could help people better. Because the more I know Bill or the more I know how crazy John is, okay, the better I can help them with their with their, um, you know, craziness. All right. Um, And so we worked really hard on this. And now what happens is we are modifying the world, your worldview, because we know better, because we know what Bill clicks on in terms of all his likes. And so mm-hmm. he's got a new cat, so he's clicking on every cat video, okay? Um, John, is yeah, which is true. He and does there are have... no dogs on my Facebook stream, I'll have you know. And <laughs> right, that's, that's, that, that's right. appalling. Exactly. So um, now you say to yourself, well, how is this harmful for Bill because he's only seeing cat videos? But his worldview is different because they have said, 
oh, well, we're just going to make it so that, oh, by the way, that, you know, that friend that just got a great job um, from somewhere basically got nuked out of your out of your stream. So you don't know about that because you're watching all the cat videos. And that's the dilemma we confront, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Important topics on the Kojo Nambi show. (laughs) Cat videos. (laughs) Bill, we're coming off the most watched basketball weekend of the year, the last games of the NCAA's March Madness Tournament. You came across a story of how software updates wreaked havoc at a pro basketball game in Germany. Yeah, this is sort of a basketball deep cut, if you will. So it's a, it is a, I love the story. A basketball <laughs> team uh, named, uh, if I'm, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Webmebel Baskets. Um, so the, they delayed their start of their, their game by 25 minutes because um, they run their scoreboard on a Windows laptop. And I guess it had hung, so they had forced it off and restarted during that process and then proceeded to, to install all the updates it had downloaded taking, you know, 25 minutes. And it got the delay was so bad that what happened is they got docked points in the standings, so they uh, they risked relegation to a lower-tier league, all this, because of Windows this, updates. This in a game Shocking. that we could count the points by hand. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. right. It took them, I think it took them about 25 minutes to realize, yeah, we could actually keep score manually. How about that? But you know what the moral of the story is? Windows updates, taking control of your system is no good. It doesn't care. It doesn't matter if it's a basketball game or you. It's no good. No, the lesson learned here is you look out on Connecticut Avenue. Every single person there is talking about Duke. We're talking about a team in Germany. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not That's a Duke fan, lesson, so yeah. I, this, this was my play. That's who we follow. Put your headphones on because Stephen in Washington, D.C. has a comment or question. Stephen, you're on the Hi, air. Sam. Go ahead, please. How are you? I'm well. I get my service, my IT, for, from Earthlink. Yes. I'm on a Fios network, which is Verizon. Yes. But that mean I am getting tracked by Verizon Supercookies? Is Stephen getting tracked, Bill? Um, not by the Verizon Supercookies, no. That is, I think, specific to uh, wireless, so if you got a Verizon phone or a tablet device. I have a Sprint phone, but it goes across my, my Verizon Wi-Fi. Right, but uh, I still think that wouldn't apply there because you're referring to uh, home Internet in that, in that scenario. Are you feeling reassured okay. yet, Stephen? I'm sure they have a malicious way of tracking home users as well. Right, that we just haven't discovered. Yes, but at least for this yet. specific issue, you're probably fine. To okay. tell you the truth, it made no difference in my reassurance level at all. <laughs> <laughs> probably for the best. <laughs> Another win for much. the team. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's not that. It's just, there's so many uh, other sources of snooping and spying and... And yeah, the whole idea of him shaping the internet for me, I don't want them to tell me what ads to look at. What good does that do me? I'm looking for something new. Well, unfortunately, that is the case as it exists right now. But, Stephen, thank you very much for your call. You, too, can call us, 800-433-8850. A lot of the innovation in the tech world today comes in the form of, well, apps. And there's stiff competition among companies that all want to be that go-to app for live video streaming or friend-to-friend payments or games. Um, Question, have you tried Meerkat or Periscope apps that let you stream live video to your followers? John, a live video streaming app called Meerkat got a lot of buzz in the press, then a lot of venture capital funding, then a lot of grief. Yeah, the technical phrase is, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. When Twitter introduced a similar app and stole the spotlight. First, how do these apps work? Well, well, here's the the, the bad news. The structure of this was, if you have an Apple phone and you have a Twitter account, then you can broadcast these short videos to the people who follow you. Okay, this is the theory. Now, anytime you have a business model based on another company, this is is not a good sign. It's like, I'm going to go sell my um, napkins at the Burger King and and the Burger King, the Burger King's going to slap and come down. And so what happened was this company came up with a study using Twitter. Twitter said, what's going on here? We're getting scammed. They came in. They bought a little company and just slammed them right down. It's almost – it's a, a if you look at the number of users and the interest level, it goes up and down drastically. It's a waterfall. So Twitter said, we can do this ourselves. Exactly. They said, hey, this guy's scamming us. We're going to go after him. And they just crushed him. And now, that's what happened to America. Yeah, but you exactly know what's happened. interesting about that, though, Kojo, is, mm-hmm. the, is, is the question of what are people live streaming right now? Um, because right now it's almost back to the first days of Twitter where people said, hi world, you know, and it was, <laughs> it wasn't about where we got our news, our promotion, our social value and so on. Um, and so right now we're in the infancy of, you know, live streaming and people are streaming them sleeping, you know, I mean, it's really, it's whatever. Um, but it's really a question of when the content 
catches up to the technology when it actually becomes important. And so these these um, companies were banking on that. Now, Meerkat really got uh, got in the middle of the fact that there was a, uh, a social media echo. And they ended up getting a lot more money for their startup than they should have because people went, ooh, Meerkat, ooh, Meerkat. But then as soon as Twitter came in, whoop, crush. Some people say this is a lesson in media hype and how bloggers can be taken advantage of, especially bloggers in California where they want to get on the next trend. They want to get in the next – they don't want to be left behind. A lot of people jump on every current thing. Some people you know, are resistant to that. But some people jump on trends, and I don't want to name names in this room here. But (laughs) are you looking? at me. <laughs> hey, you're talking to people like John and me who actually went to see Andy Warhol's movie Sleep that lasted <laughs> eight hours, so we don't complain about streaming today. <laughs> John, for people who want to be able to pay a friend for movie tickets or split the bill at a restaurant without having to pull out cash, there are a number of competing apps that are enabling what's called friend-to-friend or person-to-person payments. Latest one coming from Facebook's Messenger app. How do these payment apps work? Well, this is another wave that somebody's trying to catch, and all kinds of companies trying to catch it. Is it going to be Apple Pay? Is it going to be Facebook? Is it going to be uh, PayPal? I mean, what's it going to be? It's kind of very interesting, this whole market. In fact, you could probably do a whole show just on new payment options there. So so what Facebook, believe it or not, Facebook bills like a million dollars a day for ads and games. People buy that much stuff on games and Facebook. And so they're very familiar with That's paying. And they, and they have a new app for using Messenger and, and usually for small payments. I just... Uh, I, whenever I see, uh, for example, uh, if I were doing some work in the transmission of your car code, you should get very scared. I think when companies that aren't familiar with some of uh, security involved in financial transactions, they can get in much deep trouble, much, much deep trouble. So anyway, my two cents on now. Uh, how, secure, how secure are these friend-to-friend payment apps? They often have two-factor identification, but can't they be hacked? Well, if you, I guess it all depends on, on what stage of the process. People say, well, the Apple payment is very secure because Apple's very careful. But what they don't realize is that the people who are using the credit cards to go into the Apple Pay may have stolen credit cards. So the part that Apple can control is safe. The part they can't control is not safe. The same thing is probably going to apply to Facebook. We don't know yet. But you can better believe that there's 10,000 scam artists out there trying every single conceivable way to, to break in and, and break it. And, and what we've seen over the years is, generally speaking, they succeed. But mobile payment systems have been around for a while, but they don't seem to have really taken off yet. Why do you think they're not more popular, Bill? Well, I think part of it is just there's so much competition, and and part of um, any sort of mobile payment is it's got to be convenient. And that's sort of why I hope Apple Pay takes off, because it's behind a juggernaut. A lot of people have iPhones. It it, it would honestly be great if if, uh, we had something that was across platforms, but I'll take what I can get. so for me, that, that's a big one. I'm not interested in, in digging through menus on my phone. I'm not interested in trying different apps. I just want a really simple way to safely uh, um, issue a transaction. Well, that's the that's the key thing, though. You're, we're we're balancing safety with ease of use. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, with ease of use. Um, I have to say, I use Apple Pay all the time. I love it. Okay, and my understanding is it is pretty safe for it, you as a for as an, me. It's right. safe, yeah. but for the for the folks that are for scamming the, with for the banks, it's not safe, and maybe they should tighten up their um, their authorization when they allow a card to get attached to Apple Pay. That's right. I mean, and and that's why it's been so difficult to get a good um, a good system going, uh, a good electronic payment system going, is that you have to have both of these things. If you don't do it well for both. Forget it. And here's the phrase that pays. The phrase that pays is 6% of completed transactions are done with stolen credit cards on this Apple system. It's like 6% compared to what? That's supposed to be like 40 or 50 times more than the traditional way. So it's, it's significantly different. Now, this is being kind of hushed up, uh, but I, I would be very wary of that. I don't think it's so hushy if we're on the radio talking about it. <laughs> this is a secret show. <laughs> Except for Ishmael in Washington, D.C. It's no secret to Ishmael. Ishmael, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Ishmael. Yes, Good afternoon, Good afternoon. Uh, lady and gentlemen. I'm Kojo. Hi. Um, I have a question, and I'll try to be very brief, but unfortunately, it's sort of a complex situation that doesn't fit a soundbite. I tried. Um, I know somebody socially very well who was sued uh, a couple of years ago for allegedly illegally downloading uh, videos, movies online. Yes. And the reason that this person was sued is because Verizon disclosed their personal information. In other words, they disclosed who they were to the uh, party that was suing. Now, in Europe, um, these sorts of lawsuits were considered 
Ellis and all the lawyers engaging in the scheme were disbarred. But apparently in America, this is a legal practice where they sue people and they demand basically extort money to release them from the lawsuit. Now, my question is, to what extent do these companies, these, you know, large communication firms like Verizon, Fios, etc., have a discretion in disclosing or not disclosing people's personal information? Because I know that Time Warner Cable at the time, they quashed all of the subpoenas for information. They basically refused to release their customers' info. And after hearing that, I personally vowed never to have Verizon as my carrier for home or for for internet. Well, Thank we you. only have one attorney on this panel, my cousin Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Cochran Gilroy. <laughs> no, what do you say? Way beyond me. You know, I'm yeah. sure there's 100 lawyers in this town who'll give you a 10-hour answer on that at $400 an hour. I don't know what there's too many salty here. I'll, I'll just say this: I'm sure that there's something in in the uh, end user license agreement for most of these broadband carriers. I'm sure they give them permission they, to do that. They, they're allowed to do that, and it's also kind of interesting because a lot of these guys, like Verizon, um, like uh, Comcast, they also have uh, TV, uh, you know, they have TV services, cable services. They probably want to be in the good side of the uh, of the rights holders as well. So, they, you know, I'm sure they'll disclose it if uh, the pressure is uh, hot enough. Thank you very much for your call. We move on to Gina in Washington D.C. Gina, it is now your turn. Hi. Um, I know you were talking about Apple Pay, PayPal, and all those mobile pay platforms. Yep. And I was just curious uh, what you all thought about Venmo. It's one that I use quite a bit, and a lot of my friends who are, you know, under 30 age group seem to use and, and, and enjoy. Um, so I was kind of curious what you thought about their security, if you knew anything about it. Is that the PayPal product? It, is it a pay? I don't know. It might be. It, mm. it, I, yeah, I know it's an app. I didn't, um, I didn't catch the name of it. What's the, the name time. of it? Uh, Venmo. Venmo. Spell that. Spell that. N-M-O. I've heard of it. I have not used it. Um, hmm. Nobody in this room, unfortunately, no, no, is I under 30. Yeah. So. <laughs> NM, All right, disclose our ages. What are you doing on radio telling people? I'm 31. <laughs> it's not exclusive to that age group. It just seems to attract those type of users. And I just know that um, they have an option with their checking account where you don't have to pay a surcharge. Now, if you use your debit card or a credit card, then you have a surcharge. Um, I mean, I'm also curious on how exactly they're making money. That's probably why I haven't used it, because account. I don't attach yeah. things like that to my checking account. Yeah, I think it's less secure, honestly, to, to attach it to your credit, uh, to your, uh, uh, checking to, to your checking oh, account, scary. then your credit card. Because if something goes wrong, the, the credit card company is responsible. Right. But if something goes wrong and they empty out your account... There's not much you can do. Well, you'll get your money back, but in the meantime, you'll be uh, in yeah. a panic. You'll be in a panic, and it's a it's it's a very long time of getting your money back. Actually, up, up to a certain level. Yep. Yeah, well, it doesn't bother me. I'm broke anyway. We're going <laughs> to take, take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue with the computer guys and gal. I'm Kojon Amdi. Twelve twenty-five now. Cloudy sky, sixty-six degrees. This is WAMU eighty-eight five. Kojo returns in just a moment. Check out WAMU.org for reporter Martin Ostermule's latest story. DC landlords will soon have to provide their tenants with a bill of rights explaining the laws that apply to rent increases, security deposits, and other landlord-tenant issues. That's at WAMU. chance of showers, thunderstorms today, high 78, showers likely tonight, chance of thunderstorms in the evening, then showers likely after midnight. Morning Edition is everywhere. Monroe, Sao Paulo, Beirut, London. Reporting from bunkers, alleys, jungles, and deserts. But most importantly, we're wherever you are. Start your day with a trip around the world and wake up with Morning Edition from NPR News. Support for WAMU 88.5 comes from Bowen Macaulay Dance, presenting Victory Road, a world premiere, with live music by Jason and the Scorchers and dance performance by the BMD Company, April 10th and 11th at the Kennedy Center. More at bmdc.org. And from General Dynamics Data Center Solutions, transforming, securing, maintaining, and hosting government IT enterprises. General Dynamics Data Center Solutions, gdit.com slash data center.
and from American University. Know where AU grads land via the We Know Success site. Employment, grad school enrollment, and salary data by degree at American.edu slash We Know Success. Welcome back with the computer guys and gal. Bill Harlow is a hardware and software technician for Macs and PCs at Mid-Atlantic Consulting Incorporated. John Gilroy is director for business development for BLT Global Ventures. And Alison Druin is chief futurist at the University University of Maryland Division of Research (laughs) and co-director of the Future of Information Alliance at the University of Maryland. We are going to find a way to shorten that title. I'm I'm working on it, guys. Okay, (laughs) I'm working on the next title. (laughs) Bill, the venerable video game maker Nintendo is taking the plunge into the smartphone world, announcing that it's going to develop new games to play on your phone. Does that mean Mobile Mario is on the way? We can hope. I mean, Nintendo has been associated with dominating the gaming landscape uh, in portable use for the longest time. Um, I mean, the Game Boy and Nintendo DS lines have been hugely popular, probably some of the biggest uh, game uh, playing devices, period. But the reality is that uh, iPhones, Android phones, that's where a lot of people play their mobile games now. And there are diehards like me who still enjoy a mobile gaming device, but most people are going to use what they already bought and not buy another thing. So I think this is something Nintendo had to do. And they were smart, I think, to partner with a publisher who's got a lot of experience doing this so they uh, you know, they can really help them understand how to best use the technology. And it sounds like there'll be new, new experiences, too, not just stuff you can play that have been warmed over from other Nintendo platforms. Now, they said they're coming out with new games completely. Yep. Yeah. Now, this is actually um, very similar to what uh, uh, Kindle did. What um, Amazon did with Kindle and with their Kindle app and, you know, they're agnostic now across all these different platforms. And that tech ecosystem is critical for not only users, but also for industry success. When well, it comes they're to such a, a proprietary company and that, that they're working on some sort of tech that they can hopefully make more portable across different uh, platforms is pretty yes. key here. Yeah. On the software and hardware front, we're testing out some new devices and saying goodbye to some classic but soon-to-be-discounted software. Have you tried the tap? tick engine that stimulates movement in the touchpad on the new Apple Mac Book Pro? Call us at 800-433-8850. What do you think of Samsung's new Galaxy S6 phones? You can also send email to kojo at wamu.org. Allison, Apple has unveiled a new laptop computer that tricks you into thinking you're feeling a click when you navigate around the touchpad, even though the pad isn't actually moving. It's based on something called haptic technology. Please explain what that is, and even more important, your connection to one of its invest- inventors, Margaret Minsky. Yeah, Margaret's so great. Um, basically, this is about feeling your interface, all right? This is, instead of, you know, you touch something and then you see something happen on the screen, imagine touching your, your, uh, your touchpad and it actually it feels like it pushes back at you or it feels like you suddenly you're feeling sandpaper when you're seeing something on the screen that feels like sandpaper or imagine being able to feel the bumps or clicks or textures and they're doing this with motors um it's motors underneath the uh the touch uh the touch surface and this is something that was invented by actually my office mate and one of my still close friends uh margaret minsky um when we were both at mit uh she was doing for her dissertation a force feedback joystick. And back then, she was using um, some work that she had started when she had actually worked with Atari and then went into being a student. And it's really exciting because what it's doing is it's more than just, yes, I know your, you know, your cell phone vibrates on the, on the desk and all of a sudden it moves around. It's very different from that. It's, um, what it's doing is the motors are actually going sideways, okay? They're not going up and down. And so because of that, you can get much more s- subtle interface uh, feeling. So they're using the same technology, this taptic energy uh, uh, engine um, in the Apple Watch as well. So you can feel like somebody's tapping you on your wrist. And Apple's using it on its MacBook Pro, using something it calls a taptic engine. So when you move your finger around on the t- touchpad, it actually feels like what you're looking at if you happen to be looking at some Well, right paper. now what they're doing is um, they there's some... There's a few things they're they're using this for, but it's going to expand greatly very quickly. I hope so, because so, right now it's kind of like I, I can't wait to see what they do with yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> right now when you tap on it, it feels like there's a button there, but you know what? There's no button. It doesn't, doesn't move. Yeah, it's, it's the it's it's an illusion. And when you have iMovie, okay, there's some also some feeling um, so that when you hit the end of a clip, you actually can feel that. 
right. pushing I, back I remember, at you. I remember they said they can they can sense force too. So the idea is they can use that to like jog through footage in iMovie. The harder you press, the more it will do that. Exactly, it's force feedback. And so uh, Margaret, who was a visionary. Uh, and still is. Um, and she basically uh, had been working on this for many years. And people um, people started realizing, wow, this is the next generation, the next uh, part of your user interface experience. So where do you see this kind of technology eventually showing up? Will John Gilroy feel that the stubble on his face is, can <laughs> that be reproduced to on, no online? No. He never has to shave again? This yeah. is actually, this is wonderful for uh, folks with disabilities that have a hard time seeing the screen. Ah, and so you true. can and yeah. so you can get extra information. So imagine if your icons felt heavier, okay, <laughs> um, when there was more in them. And, uh, and then you would know that that was heavier. So there is a lot more information we get from touch that we don't realize. Put on gloves for a day and go around your experience without the feeling of touch, and you'll find out how important touch and is. if you've played video games over the last 10 years or so, you've experienced this. That's right. I mean, exactly. Every, it's in every, video games. Yeah, every controller has vibration motors inside now, and we take it for granted. But when that first happened, I remember that because that was – you know, ages ago, but uh, uh, there's a game called Gran Turismo. The first yes, one came out. And exactly. I remember that even with just this little um, control pad, if you were steering into a corner, you're coming in too hot, you could actually have the controller vibrate. You could kind of tell that the tires were breaking traction. It was a really cool sensation. And that was the first place that people accepted that touch was going to be right. an important part of that experience. It's, it's amazing to me that it took this long to get into our laptops and, and more of our devices. Several comments or questions on topics we've already discussed. We got one tweet from someone who says, Venmo has absolutely changed the way that friends and I dine out. Peer-to-peer -peer payments are so fast and easy. Same person again tweeting, I have it attached to my dummy checking account, the one for daily spending, not bills. So if anything goes wrong, I'm not screwed. Ah, uh, smart idea. That's a good idea. Yeah. That much. It's like someone, a fake email address. Yeah. <laughs> someone yeah. else tweeted, if only we could opt in, not out. Is that dreaming? Uh. <laughs> That may be. <laughs> Maybe. On to Joshua in Silver Spring, Maryland. Joshua, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kojo. Uh, just wanted to let you know, man, I've been listening to you since I was about four years old. You're awesome. That was my and... father, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, well, my question was about, uh, you know, how you said Nintendo was coming into the uh, mobile phone world. Um, yes. Whether or not they'd be having video games via apps or would it be like you could buy Zelda on um, like on uh, iTunes store as a separate video game because I myself right now I have this uh, Puffin browser on my phone where I play Pokemon Yellow yeah I know it's really old it's, it's <laughs> one of the funnest games I've ever played and I'm still playing it to this day and I would really like better quality on the game itself like it's terrible quality what I'm dealing with right now it's just you know something you have to go through if you're a diehard like me I was just wondering whether or not you think Nintendo would be bringing better quality to mobile games or would we still be dealing with, you know, the level of quality I have right now, which is probably like every five seconds the screen freezes up, sometimes the buttons don't really work, you know, my Pokemon will die on me on occasion. <laughs> well, well, what you're talking about, I think, is, is emulating one of the older Nintendo games on, on the phone. And this, mm -hmm. what Nintendo will be doing is something completely different. Um, at least uh, in the short term, I don't expect them bringing their flagship properties or especially um, previous titles that they've already released in other systems. I'm sure they'll keep those on their own hardware, but they're going to be trying new things. So you, you'll probably see some high quality games and maybe even other types of software from Nintendo uh, that'll be exclusive to these mobile platforms. Thank you very much for your call, Joshua. You too can call us at 800-433-8850 with your comments or questions. You can send us a tweet at Kojo Show, email to kojowamu.org, or go to our website, kojoshow.org. Join the conversation there. Bill, Samsung's new phones, the Galaxy S6 and S6 Edge, went on sale in the U.S. late last month. Reviews seem to be mixed, but some people say they're great to use, while others say their reliance on Google software means they'll never match Apple's popularity. Well, I think these are the finest iPhones Samsung's ever made. Um, 
I, I well mean, said. Well said. In, in all honesty, they, they look like they're, they're sensational devices from a hardware standpoint. I mean, they do look a lot like an iPhone, um, but they're state-of-the-art hardware. They, they're using premium materials now because I think they, they were sensitive to the complaints that their stuff felt plasticky compared to. Some clunky, of, uh, too. Yeah. But the, the other issue is it is the software. I think that Android itself is an excellent operating system for mobile. And I think if this was just Android and using the latest and greatest from Google, this would uh, be a pretty killer phone. But the problem is that Samsung isn't really, in my opinion, um, top tier level yet when it comes to software. And they're still putting their own stink on the software, for lack of a better term. So they've got this interface called TouchWiz. And it's not, it's not as intrusive now. But it's just, if you're going to make this premium advice, I would just say, you know, I know you're trying to differentiate, but to me, stock, uh, the latest version of the stock Android OS is great, and this, that's sort of what still hobbles the phone, in my opinion, this uh, sub, subpar software. What's going on with Samsung's sales? Once Apple introduced large phones, Samsung's dominance of that market niche seemed to disappear. Yeah, Apple came in. And by the way, what is it, like 80% of all profits from smartphones yeah. are going to Apple. So I think Apple's not only winning this game, but it's win, set, game, match, Final Four, <laughs> Sweet 16, all of the above. everything. Yeah. But it again goes to, it's an, it's an equation. It's not just about the hardware, folks. Yeah. It's not just about the software. It's both. If you don't care about the entire ecosystem, you're not winning. And that's what Apple figured out. And Apple out. makes both. That's it's, right. You know, they're, that's they, right. they're not a hardware maker who licensed someone else's software. Yep. John, the original Internet browser, Internet Explorer, which some young people have never heard of, is, <laughs> is, soon, is soon to be no more. Should we care? <laughs> Why yes, is we Microsoft replacing Internet Explorer when it unveils Windows 10? Just for the record, I started on the station in 1991, which was 24 years ago, yep. and that was before... <laughs> Netscape Navigator was even released. I was so, in diapers then. <laughs> Netscape Navigator came out, and then they started charging for it. And boys and girls gather around the campfire. They started charging for it. And Microsoft, of all the people, started coming up with a free browser, which was a big innovation. It was terrible, but it was free. Well, in, in, in their defense, everything was terrible. Then, so. <laughs> and, and they went from, you know, better to bad, better to bad. And now they're probably at okay, and they're trying to improve. And so we have this long product history of uh, Internet Explorer, and you've got to realize it was a response to Netscape, and it was free, which no one believes Bill Gates gave anything away for free. And it's, <laughs> it's at its product. It's got 200,000 miles on it. It's about time to, you know, buy another uh, operating system, buy another browser. And that's what coming up with something uh, it's called Project Spartan. How's that sound for Greek philosophy? Well, what's going to be different about Project Spartan? Uh, it's going to be for boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the claim is, is that it's going to have a better speech recognition in it called Cortana. It so they Italian keep pulling phrase. these names from uh, from their Halo franchise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and yeah. better interoperability, which is a big fancy word, means everything to, to everybody, but means it can work with different types of systems easier. It's, it's more platform agnostic is the catchphrase. So that's what's going to give you better speech recognition, hopefully more stable. Um, I, I, use, I, I use it... Uh, Every day, and I also use other browsers. I think you should have multiple browsers. So. I think it would surprise everyone to know that Internet Explorer is still in use on a global scale. Oh, yeah. I use it every day. Here is Greg in Potomac, Maryland. Greg, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hey, Kojo. How are you doing? I love the uh, the subject of the, the show today. Um, as, a, as a diehard gamer, um, one of the biggest frustrations I've had in mobile gaming is uh, this kind of um, in-game app uh, or in-app purchase system, so a, kind of a pay-to-win model. And mm -hmm. one of my biggest concerns or, I guess, questions about Nintendo going into this realm as a diehard gamer is are they going to embrace, or have there been any talks about them embracing that in-game purchase model that has frustrated me uh, playing on my mobile device? Uh, I'll listen to uh, your answer off the air. Thanks. Bill? Well, I think that they will definitely explore that. They've explored that to a degree on the Nintendo 3DS system with a couple of games where they're f free to download and you can do some basic things, but you have to buy modules or pieces uh, within the game itself to add more to it. Um, so I think it's sort of a, a generational thing. I think people like me have been playing older, playing games uh, my entire life. Um, we would rather just spend you know, the 30 to 60 bucks on a new game and just play it. Um, but I think the trend for a lot of people, and I think some of this is mobile's fault, is... Um, 
people don't want to spend that kind of money on something on their phones or tablets, no matter how rich the experience is. Something they would gladly pay 60 bucks for on a PlayStation, they want to spend uh, $2 on an iPhone. <laughs> and that's why we have things like in-app purchases, so these companies can actually make money, because making games is really expensive. And you know, it's a business, and it, it is a risky business. So they're going to do whatever they can to um, sell a product at a profit, whether it means giving giving a core limited experience to you for free and then making money in the back end um, or selling a premium game. Whatever works, whatever people respond to is what they'll do. Well, you have to ask yourself, what is what is the value of anything? Is it, is it by context? Okay. And if the value is by context, when do we devalue it? And, and why do we devalue it? And so, um, you know, it used to be that we... You know, we had something called, and, and John, you're going to remember this, mm-hmm. okay? A record album, mm-hmm. okay? Where we oh, I, I, I still buy them. I still buy them. Never heard of them. We bundled <laughs> music together, folks, and mm-hmm. it was a real, you know, this was real money we paid, you know, for bundled music. Now what do we pay for music, folks, right? Zero. We're <laughs> going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with the computer guys and gal and take your questions or comments. The number is 800-433-8850. You can send email to kojo at wamu.org. I'm Kojo Namdi. Coming up at once, seeking redress, families in Guatemala sue Johns Hopkins over unethical medical tests from the 1940s. Plus, teachers in Atlanta convicted under racketeering laws for inflating test scores. Today at one on the Kojo Namdi Show on WAMU 88.5 and streaming at kojoshow.org. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Kojo Namdi Show on WAMU 88.5. I'm Pat Brogan, 12.43. Cloudy skies now. 70 degrees in northwest Washington. Tonight at 9, we present We'll Be Here All Night Stories for Passover, a Passover-themed special from the award-winning podcast Vox Tablet and PRX, featuring stories and conversations that touch on the plagues, slavery, food, and more. That's We'll Be Here All Night Stories for Passover tonight at 9 on WAMU 88.5. Support for WAMU 88.5 comes from General Dynamics IT Health Solutions, dedicated to providing IT solutions that meet the challenges of a new era in healthcare. General Dynamics Health, gdit.com slash health. And from the ITVS independent lens film, The Home Stretch, following homeless teens fighting to graduate while proving that being homeless does not mean being helpless. Premieres April 13th at 10 p.m. on PBS station WETA-TV 26. And from Exelon, who together with Pepco, its proposed merger partner, is committed to reliability and meeting the needs of its customers and the communities it serves. More at PepcoTomorrow.com. Welcome back. It's the computer guys and gal. John Gilroy is director for business development for BLT Global Ventures. Allison Druin is chief futurist at the University of Maryland Division of Research and co-director of the Future of Information Alliance at the University of Maryland. And Bill Harlow is a hardware and software technician for Macs and PCs at Mid-Atlantic Consulting Incorporated. Let's go to Grace in Aspen Hill, Maryland. Grace, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, good afternoon. I was calling to basically find out, is there an app or a phone service that is international where you don't have to have SIM cards and uh, um, other expensive routes when you try to get your uh, services when you're traveling, particularly like in the Bahamas? Or is there anything that's opened up for travel to Cuba? I think something you can use over data, um, you know, like Skype or or, or, the, or that sort of uh, messaging uh, app would be the way to go because that isn't reliant on cellular technology. And, to work. and Kojo is our Cuba expert in the room here today. And you think there should be some kind of one world, worldwide system, don't you, Grace, where we don't absolutely, have to make adjustments absolutely. when we go from one country <laughs> to another? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Has no one yet come up with that app, or do I need to try and? Well, like um, I said, Skype, Skype might be the best way. Get, they've, yeah. And they've got a service called, I think, Skype Out, where yeah. you can actually get, you know, you can make calls to phones from it. Sounds great. That's the best we can oh. do, Grace. But you do need a Wi-Fi with that, okay? Yeah, you'll need some yes. sort of data connection. And if you want to keep it cheap, it's going to be Wi-Fi. So, yeah, it's Skype, S-K-Y-P-E, you know, looking at something like that maybe. 
And okay, I, ha- okay. I haven't traveled to Cuba since we opened up relations with Cuba, so I don't know if there's one hidden there. But okay, I'll, well, I'll, let you know I'll be going to check it out as soon as I can, though. Thank you very okay. Thank you very much for your call, Grace. Here now is Jerry in Silver Spring, Maryland. Jerry, your turn. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, I'll be quick. I have an old computer that's about ready to die, and I need to buy I need to buy a replacement for it. I need something that can, of course, do the usual surfing, email, uh, send out some Wi-Fi signals and so on. But I, I'm thinking I'd like to maybe buy a tablet instead of a computer. Is that crazy? Nope. Is that, is that Not crazy at all. No? Uh, you just have to look at what you're doing, um, and just keep in mind that uh, tablets are not the same as full-fledged computers. Um, there's a lot you can do with them. They're great for email. They're great for browsing on the web. If you want to run uh, a lot of types of applications, there are a ton available. You can get Office for tablets, for example. But you know, there's some things you, you can't do with a typical tablet, which is you know, you're not going to easily connect any peripheral you want via USB yeah. to them. They're kind yeah. of their, their own thing. Now, Jerry, I, I work with some engineers in the laboratory, and they've been getting these Microsoft Surface Pros because they're okay. so light and they can, carry them, they, they can carry them around and still input data because the keyboard's real nice with those. Right. And, and the Surface like Pro light. is a laptop, but you can use it like a tablet. Mm-hmm. Well, I noticed that there are a bunch of – there are a lot of new tablets coming out all the time. Of course, they're, they're really not that expensive, comparatively speaking, if you get the low-end ones. But the, I think – if you want one that pretty much acts like a computer, they look like they're pretty more, a lot more expensive. And yeah. Sur- Surface Pro does have one USB port, so it gives you an option right. where some of the Apple products may not. But, but basically, if you're looking at a good tablet, you, you can get one for around the, the uh, three to five hundred dollar range. Whereas a, a good laptop, you're gonna, you know, more or less double that. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, that, that, that so that makes sense. Okay. Thank you very much for your call. Good luck to you, Jerry. Allison, anyone who's been to Disney World remembers tickets to get in and long lines for the popular rides, but now. The Magic Kingdom has developed a magic wristband. That's all you need for a supposedly stress-free day in theme park. <laughs> that is impossible. <laughs> well, it's okay. a wish. You all have seen these, like you know, these these um, these bands, these plastic bands that people wear around your wrist. Yes. Well, the the Disney folks put a, a radio transmitter in these bands, um, an RFID tag, and um, and so if you wear these things. Then you and you, you get online and you get on your app and you may order your food or you may order tickets or you may um, figure out where you want to go and so on. And they will create itineraries for you. They will make it so that when you walk into a restaurant, um, they will know your name. They will n- bring your food out to you almost immediately. It is uh, it's a little scary Big Brother kind of thing. But it is pretty amazing. It, it goes back to this question of how much do we want to be watched if it's for our own benefit? So this is a, you know, this is really a skid free kind of vacation where, you know, it's going to help you every which way you can. But just remember, they're going to know where you are at all times, at all times. And so what, what are they doing? This is a brilliant move. They're collecting all this um, data, big data, and they're going to be able to tell you, well, people like Bill... Um, they're going to want to spend uh, six hours in the park, and they're going to go want to go to these kind of restaurants, and then they're going to suggest these things to Bill next time. Quick question. Is it opt-in? Ah, <laughs> Reading about this wristband <laughs> makes one wonder where else this kind of technology might be adopted in the future, at the airport, college campuses? Where do Absolutely. you see it turning Oh, up? I think one of the biggest places that should be is in hospitals. We already wear these ridiculous wristbands in hospitals. There's so much information about people that really need to go with the people. And honestly, those wristbands would be fabulous because we need more help in hospitals. Absolutely. In university, there's, there's an awful lot of data that goes along with our students. Again, the problem is privacy here. Um, when it comes to universities, we have, we have a lot of uh, privacy issues and uh, we, ne- we need to follow a lot of different laws. But um, in the service industry, in restaurants, in shops, I think this is also something, too. Large liquor stores? Oh, uh, yeah, good <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, don't Speaking of which. <laughs> John choked on that <laughs> Bill, thrill seekers at Disney World love the Space Mountain roller coaster, but some people can't stomach it. Motion sickness can also kick in when you're just sitting at home playing a video game with a virtual reality headset on. A group of researchers has figured out how to add a piece of reality in the viewfinder that cuts down the queasy feeling. What is it? See, this is a, it's a pretty high-tech solution, actually. Very high-tech. So what they've done is they've modeled a virtual reality schnoz. So 
It's a technical word. So, is that a nose? Really? It's, it's a, a serious a, nose. It is a nose. So the reality is, is the virtual reality is that uh, there, there, there are a lot of problems you have to solve with uh, the quality of the display, the responsiveness, the latency. And it is so convincing. It's simulating a, a virtual place that you're seeing things that your body isn't feeling. And sometimes finding something you can ground yourself to helps. Um, that's why things like racing sims where you have a cockpit around you work so well. So the idea of putting a, a nose you can kind of see out the corner of your eye down down there as, as, as an anchor point uh, makes a big difference. It, it, they measured it in time to sick. So oh. when they put the virtual reality <laughs> nose on the display, they found that people were able to stay immersed longer before feeling queasy. But wait a second. Is this like a floating nose in the sky? Is this like... No, no, no. It's supposed to be your nose, Allison. Oh, so, I couldn't know. figure out what was going on with that. No, no, no. Not just, not just the nose. The old Jimmy Durante nose is what it is. Right. <laughs> We're schnoz. Actually, yes, schnoz. I would love to be able to pick the nose. I think. Well, not literally. We're not, not pick talking it. about choose, picking your nose on choose. the air, please. I'd like to choose the nose. That'd be great. The FCC Jimmy, is going to get all over you, Bill. Don't talk about it on the air. Robert, You're in trouble now. Only Marilyn Robert, help us, please. Help us. Pick your nose, Save us from ourselves, Robert. Pick your nose for us. Pick it out. <laughs> Robert, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Save us from ourselves. Great, great to talk to you. I've been listening to you for, for years now. Thank you. Uh, I'm calling, actually, uh, in response to Grace, who was just on. Yes. Uh, if she's looking for it, well, two things. One, if she has an Apple device, uh, if she's connected to a Wi-Fi network, she can text anyone else on an Apple device or even an Apple computer. Um, and using, uh, if she's also on Wi-Fi, she can also use the FaceTime feature yes. to call any iPhone yep. or any iPad. Um, That's so true. There is one that uh, me and my fiance use because she lives in in Canada um, called WhatsApp. Yep, I'm familiar with WhatsApp. T A P P. The two billion dollar app, right? Yep. WhatsApp. The two billion dollar app. Isn't that what Facebook paid for it? Yep. WhatsApp. Yep. And and that will work internationally. Over data and Wi-Fi, uh, and you can pretty much talk to, to anyone else using that app. Yeah, my nephew from the Caribbean calls me every day on WhatsApp. I wish he'd stop. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, there you go. I just thought I'd, I'd throw in my two cents about that. Robert, thank you very much for your call. John, for the athlete who has everything, you came across a French company that makes digitally connected shoes. Yes, How do they is... track your activity and let your feet breathe at the same time? Well, I remember maybe four or five years ago, they'd have uh, some kind of chip you'd put in a shoe and it'd connect to an iPod or something. Yeah, and then, I had one, the Nike Plus. Yeah, and so you go to the shoe, to the iPod, the ankle bones, and then back to the computer. And then and now they have these chips, and I, this is a European company that had these things, that put in your shoe, and, and you can get more and more information. Again, it goes back to, I think, of the category of healthcare IT and, and information and data, big data, and getting more and more information about for training. And, and anyone who knows compulsive athletes, and I know some compulsive athletes, they'll do anything to try to get an edge on so if they're competing with someone like Kojo, they'll put chips in their shoes. They'll do anything, change their diet, you know, change anything to win. But so that's what they're trying to do, trying to win with this little uh, chip they put in the shoe. Actually, that goes to the trend of if you know what you're doing better, mm-hmm. you will change your behavior. Mm, okay. I would make and, that statement. And so, Changing behavior didn't work that easy. Well, <laughs> actually, they're finding a lot of research um, on – Things like water consumption, things like um, health, uh, you know, number of steps you take. Um, it's in a lot of different areas of, of, uh, of people's lives. If they know what they're doing and are more cognizant of it, they may change it. In my case, that worked. It gives you that extra nudge. Like if yes. you're kind of on the fence, you're like, is this working? And then you can go back and look at it and say, oh, yeah, it has, and I need to keep doing this. Right, exactly. Here's John in Warrenton, Virginia. John, your turn. Good morning, Kojo. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon, actually. You're right. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm interested in uh, anything you guys might know about technology using Bluetooth and uh, brainwaves. I think some company called VOIS or something like that or Mind something has got a product. Where you can use um, uh, brainwaves brain to communicate device, with devices but... using Bluetooth? Yeah, exactly. I haven't um, seen anything like that formally. I've seen other things um, for computers, like basically a rudimentary way of moving a mouse cursor using your mind, but mm-hmm. uh, nothing, nothing like that personally that I've uh, looked into. Never heard of anything. It no. may be in the labs right now yeah. and not necessarily out in commercial use right at the moment. John, thank you very much for your call. We have not at this point heard about it as yet. And now it's that time when we describe our apps of the month. John, your app of the month is called Paper Karma. How does it help you cut down on junk mail? 
Go up the road to the EPA, they say that 44% of all junk mail is thrown out. <laughs> we get some tons in my house, and I found this little app that you can take a picture of the mail, and they'll go ahead and, and contact the senders and tell them to take you off the list. What a simple little app called Paper, K-A-R-M-A. Once you take a picture of the piece of junk mail that yeah. you're getting? Yeah, and they'll take and go back to the sender and go, hey, take go right off this list for, I don't know, what we get piles. Everyone, I can, everyone gets piles. I just don't understand it. Okay, so, and paper how, karma. And then how do you get rid of paper karma? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you just delete it, huh? Allison, your app this month is Google's Field Trip app and a feature that helps locate spots where women made history. How does it work? Oh, this is so cool. Um, basically, the app buzzes every time you get near any place where a woman made history and you get some information about it if you so choose. Um, it actually uses the Google Field uh, field trip app engine, and it's the Spark organization, which is a nonprofit um, organization for women 13 to 22, actually put the content in. And so this is we're talking, you know, not Google didn't decide who these women are that should be put in this in this app. Um, women across uh, the world are actually uh, nominating women to be um, looked at, and a lot of women, younger women, are researching women who made history. So you're going to see somebody uh, that documented, you know, violent regimes, or somebody else that discovered uh, fossils. It's really, Margaret Minsky. Yeah, Margaret Minsky should be in there. I'm going to nominate so her. Yes. Any place you are on Earth in which women made history, or is it geographically restricted? Well, in the it's initial uh, at the, it's in the initial phases. It's uh, geographically. Uh, oh. Yes. Okay. Bill, you like an app called the Cord Cutter. I wish, I think we all want it. <laughs> How does it help you to get rid of cable and stream TV shows online? So The Verge has this really nifty website called The Cord Cutter, and it's just a really quick calculator where it shows the services, the most popular streaming services like Amazon and Netflix, uh, HBO Now, Hulu Plus. So you tap on those, and it shows a grid of channels. And as you tap on them, it highlights the ones that are available on that service. So you can kind of, you know, like I'll, I'll tap on Hulu Plus and say, oh, I can get ABC and uh, and FX and Comedy Central, for example. So you can see if it covers your your viewing patterns, if it covers all the stuff you want to watch. What is Comcast doing to stifle this app? <laughs> <laughs> right now, nothing. They're putting noses on it. Because <laughs> exactly right. you know they don't like it. I'm afraid that's all the time we have with our computer guys and gal this month. Of course, they'll be back next month. Alison Druin, Chief Futurist at the University of Maryland Division of Research and Co-Director of the Future of Information Alliance at the University of Maryland. Bill Harlow is Hardware and Software Technician for Macs and PCs at Mid-Atlantic Consulting Incorporated. And John Gilroy is Director for Business Development for BLT Global Venture. The weather is good. They're heading outside, and maybe they'll never come back. (laughs) (laughs) No, they'll be back a month from now with tips for you. Thank you all for listening. I'm Kojo Namdi. Coming up tomorrow on the Kojo Nam, they show the original white meat. We explore takes on chicken from around the world that are anything but boring. Plus, craving the taste but not the meat. The newest protein substitutes are coming closer than ever to the real thing. The Kojo Nam, they show noon till 2 tomorrow on WAMU 88.5 and streaming at kojoshow.org. Good afternoon. You're listening to WAMU 88.5 heading up to 1 o'clock. Cloudy skies, 68 degrees. In northwest Washington, a 70% chance of showers, thunderstorms today, high 78, showers likely tonight, with a chance of thunderstorms in the evening and showers likely after. Thanks for listening to the Kojo Namdi Show, and if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at WAMU.org. Just click the Donate button, and thanks.